0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info.
1: You know, as I was uh, starting to think with uh, Sam Burmess-Dawes and Amelia Brock about just what we should be covering on today's show um, I realized that, unfortunately, and, and they agreed with me, that, unfortunately, as much as we want to move on, we really cannot stop the conversation about the ongoing efforts to undermine the integrity of George's election. I, I mean, we're at a point where it, it would be great if we could start talking about what we expect to happen in the state legislative session Uh, next month, where we could talk about uh, what the Biden agenda is when he takes office in January, when we could actually talk about the issues at stake in the 2020 runoff election uh, for U.S. Senate. Um, But unfortunately, as long as people continue to make headlines undermining the integrity of the vote here, it's just something we have to talk about. And you may be as tired of it as I am, but I'm sorry, it's just something we can't ignore it at this point. So, we're going to do some of that today, and then we're going to try to move on to a few other important subjects in political news. Um, joining me, as he always does on Wednesdays, Greg Bluestein, AJC political reporter. Bluestein, um, I'll tell people the story that I've told off air. Uh, last week, you didn't do the show because you said to me, I'm taking the family to Florida. I said, Really, Disney World or the beach? And you said, No, where? Gatorland it's it was my now 10-year-old's birthday and she's obsessed with
2: gators and we figured it's outdoors yeah. it's family friendly there weren't that many people there and she got to hold a gator.
1: Oh my god. Well you know the Oki Finokee Swamp is a cheaper way to see all the alligators you could ever <laughs> hope to see. <laughs> but anyhow Greg I'm very glad you're back with all of your fingers and toes intact from uh, Gatorland. Thanks for being here uh, today. We're joined also by the mayor of uh, Tifton, Georgia, Julie Smith, who comes back to the show. We haven't seen you in a little while, Julie. How are things going down there in Tifton these days?
0: Well, this morning it's a little chilly, but other than that, things are good. The sun is shining and people are at work and uh, we're moving about town. And uh, so it's a good day to be in Tifton, Georgia. So glad to be with you this morning.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Uh, professor Alan Abramowitz is back with us, too, uh, the esteemed professor of political science and modeler of elections uh, at Emory. Uh, Alan, thank you for joining us again. You're pretty much done. The semester is basically over. You get a little break, right?
3: Oh, yeah. We don't uh, come back until late January. We have a longer, longer than normal break, um, you know, because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, so... Yeah, I've got, got some time available.
1: And unfortunately, even in January, classes are gonna be online. There's no, with, without a vaccine shaping up quite yet, uh, you're not gonna be able to meet in person for quite a while, are you?
3: We have uh, a few classes that are meeting in person, um, but uh, the vast majority of classes are, are going to continue to be online for the next semester.
1: OK. Um, and we're also really glad to have back with us today, Rene Alegria. Renee Alegria is the uh, president and CEO of Mundo Hispanico, one of the largest uh, digital uh, uh, platforms for uh, news about the Hispanic community, news information, cultural uh, stories. And, um, Renee, uh, you've built that into quite a megaphone within the national Hispanic community. Glad to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right, let's do this to start. I think it's pretty well known by now that yesterday, Gabriel Sterling, who is the manager of the state's election systems uh, and who has been routinely reporting out to um to journalists uh, in a very transparent way what what the election returns, what happened with election returns, what happened with the hand recount, what happened is happening now with the uh, actual Uh, recount that President Trump's campaign team requested. I mean, between him and Brad Raffensperger, they've been doing as good a job, I think, as possible this time in uh, trying to let us all know what's going on with our election. Yesterday afternoon, um, Greg, let me let you uh, help introduce this. Yesterday, Gabe Sterling came to the Capitol, and it was an entirely different—he's always very straightforward— uh, somewhat informal, in a very pleasant way in the way he reports things, kind of unflappable. Greg, before we hear the soundbite, that certainly wasn't what happened yesterday.
2: No, and you could see it even as he was walking to the podium. You could see that he was furious about something. It was just unbridled passion. Uh, it was. Uh, he told me later it was unscripted. It, it, it certainly seemed unscripted to me. He was just talking really from, from his heart.
1: Well, let's listen. We're going to listen to a somewhat lengthy soundbite uh, that uh, w- we think helps set up exactly how angry he was, and it lead- will lead us into our conversation about what's happening here in terms of election integrity. Here's Gabriel Sterling.
4: This is elections. This is the backbone of democracy, and all of you who have not said a damn word are complicit in this. It's too much. Yes, fight for every legal vote, go through your due process. We encourage you, use your First Amendment, that's fine. Death threats, physical threats, intimidation, it's too much. It's not right. They've lost the moral high ground to claim that it is. I don't have all the best words to do this because I'm angry. And the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back today is again this 20 year old contractor for a voting system company, just trying to do his job. Just there. In fact, I talked to the Dominion today and I said he's one of the better ones they got. His family's getting harassed now. There's a noose out there with his name on it. It's It's not right. I've got police protection outside my house. Fine. You know. I took a higher, higher profile job. I get it. Secretary ran for office, his wife knew that too. This kid took a job. He just took a job. And it's just wrong. I can't begin to explain the level of anger I have right now over this. And every American, every Georgian, Republican and Democrat alike should have that same level of anger. Mr. President... It looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating, there's always a possibility, I get it, and you have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's gonna get hurt, someone's gonna get shot, someone's gonna get killed, and it's not right.
1: Uh, Gabriel, Sterling, Greg, let me, put, before I bring in the rest of the panel, let me put this in a, a slightly larger context. Um, one of the reasons that Gabe Sterling talked about that twenty-year-old young uh, election worker yesterday is he came on the radar for uh, by a guy named Ron Watkins. Ron Watkins and his father are the gatekeepers for the person, the mysterious person known as QAnon. Um, the story has it that they're the ones, they're the only ones who know QAnon's identity. And so when QAnon has a message to send to his followers, it's through the Watkins. Watkins is now, as one of the biggest perpetrators of the QAnon myths, uh, has filed a lawsuit along with Sidney Powell, who even the Trump campaign has disavowed, in Georgia alleging that the Dominion voting system here was rigged to give Joe Biden the victory and when they put this young they took up they have a video of this young worker they took a tight shot of the young workers ID badge and that Name has now proliferated on the internet. As Sterling said, this kid has had his life threatened. Uh, there's talk about um, there's been pictures of a noose with a, an expression on it saying something like, God have mercy on your soul. Uh, Greg, no wonder Sterling was angry, and it strikes me uh, that there are a lot of other people who ought to be starting to feel that same anger. Greg?
2: Yeah, I mean, what he what he, you heard him say was it's one thing if you go after elected officials because at least they're in the public sphere. But when you're going after hardworking county or, or, or low-level staffers who are just <laughs> literally just doing their jobs, it's another story. And by the way, this is not the first time um, that a low-level staffer has been targeted. I mean, a, a Fulton County elections worker had to go in hiding a few weeks ago because mm-hmm. there was a out-of-context video of him, um, you know, uh, uh, tearing some, a piece of paper up that, that went viral on social media by Trump supporters accusing him of tearing up a ballot when he was not doing that. Um, So, And you're also seeing this kind of overlap with QAnon, as you mentioned. Um, It's sort of a Venn diagram where a lot of the QAnon supporters are the ones who are very forcefully uh, continuing this false narrative that that the election was stolen from from Donald Trump. And, And holding a press conference here in Georgia, by the way, later on today, to continue these claims. So you're right, this is something that, that we need to keep talking about, um, unfortunately, because there are, there is, is a segment of the population that still believes that the election was somehow
1: stolen when it was not. Alan, what is going on here?
3: Well, I, I think what we're seeing here is a, another example of the way in which uh, that people pushing out these sorts of conspiracy theories Uh, and and, uh, uh, pretending that there's some some factual basis to them uh, can have have real consequences. Um, And the the biggest problem, I think, is that um, we have the president of the United States now aided and abetted by our two United States senators who have been adding fuel to the fire. I mean, this is something Trump has done all along. Um, but, in the case of the uh, election controversy, you know he is the one who is uh, more than anyone else uh, he and his uh, uh, you know, some pe- people close to him and around him uh, pushing these theories and putting out just making wild assertions about the the election uh, and how it was stolen from him and We have our two senators who are uh, call it, who call on the Secretary of State to resign for supposedly uh, uh, allowing this to happen in Georgia. And it's complete nonsense. They know it. They know it. Um, but they're willing to go along with him because they are just afraid to uh, antagonize uh, Trump's base uh, as we head toward the runoff elections.
1: You know, Mayor Smith, um, obviously we produce Political Rewind out of a base in midtown Atlanta. We're in the middle of metro Atlanta here, um, Communities that went uh, by fairly large numbers for Joe Biden uh, in the election. Uh, you're down there in, in the heart of, of red territory. I mean, Tifton has mm-hmm. been a stronghold, Tiff County, a stronghold for Republicans. I wonder if the messaging about the uh, rigged election is having a much different impact in mm-hmm. your community and the and the citizens of your community.
0: Well, you know, it's, this is this is what I'm concerned about. If and this has been the message that I've, you know, you're you're hearing from um, from a lot of the experts when you you know when you listen or you you read the uh, newspaper articles. If the election, if everything is so rigged, why go vote? And when you have elected officials who are saying, "Don't even bother to vote," or are casting doubt and dispersion on the process um like like greg and and the other panelists said you know that's going to create waves that will will continue to feel for years to come um either drop it or you know try to unite this this uh this party and and i don't see our president doing that um it's disappointing um you know the concern is what will the you know, like you said what will the public do and how will that impact uh, the the voters, and to challenge, and to Sterling's point, to challenge the integrity of the people of our state, it's just, that's just ridiculous. Um, that's just unacceptable. So uh, it's very disconcerting. I'm afraid that people will just, you know, see this as, uh, you know, let's just don't vote, or, um, you know, the Democratic Party's done such an incredible job of, of uniting their party and getting people to the polls, and that's so important. And, uh, you know, we should all be united in, in our Constitution and our right to vote and the, and this, and the political process. So um, so it's very disconcerting. We'll, we'll have to, you know, the future will, will reflect itself, you know, before long and we'll, you know, we'll see how it turns out. But it's just very disappointing.
1: So Renee, I want to get you, it before I do, I want a f- quick follow-up question with you, Mayor Smith. I mean, I, like many mayors, most mayors, you're elected in a nonpartisan election, right? Thank
0: goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless,
1: nevertheless, nevertheless, when nevertheless, when you make the kind of statements you just did, which is let's move right. on if there's no proof of fraud, right. what is that? How how do you think that impacts the people who will? Who are Republican voters down there who mm-hmm. may be buying into some of these conspiracy theories? Do you feel like it puts you at any risk? It, not not danger, risk of not being reelected.
0: Correct. But you know, I've always, I've always. Um Fortunately, I live in a very small community. It's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of Mayberry-ish in a way. Everyone sort of knows each other, and and local government is the closest to the people. And um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've got a um, an incredible community that I have the honor to represent. Who know me? They know me, and I would say that um, you know, I don't I don't think that the um, I don't think that those who have supported our efforts and in my mayoral run uh, and efforts have. um, I don't think that it's going to be a challenge. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, You know, I I tend to be somewhat moderate, uh, so I don't. I don't think that it's going to have any impact.
1: You know, um, glad to hear that, (laughs) Renee. Why don't you jump in?
5: Yeah, you know, uh, from at Mundo Hispanico, we we obviously take the world in and report through. The Latino lens, the cultural immigrant core that is the Hispanic community. Watching and hearing that tape um, really does remind most of our users of dictator strong arm propaganda tactics of the countries that most of us escaped from. You know, we, it, it it does resonate like a Trujillo in the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic, or Pinochet in in Chile, or or even Fidel's Cuba, or or, or the PRI mm-hmm. in Mexico that rules for 70 plus years. There was always propaganda that sowed um, doubt in every election, which made people stay home. They did not feel like their vote. Would ever count, so they didn't. To see this playing out in the United States of America is incredible. It 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 does hearken to what we've been through as a Hispanic community, and again, it's just, it's it's sad and it's and it's scary too. You know, I mean, a lot of a lot of the discussion in our office is how, how did this happen? How are we? You know, we we moved here because our vote matters. We can vote. That's our freedom to do so. So. It's 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 a bit scary. Well, the other thing that's uh, striking
3: about what's happening right now is that uh, President Trump is 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 actually stepping on the Republican message. Um, If you think about the Republican message going forward as we head toward these crucial runoff elections here in Georgia, uh, the the, the message is, is first of all, uh, that we want you all of you Republican voters to come out and vote again. Um, We we need every one of you to to come out and vote, uh, almost, you know, regardless of of whether you um, uh, support the president or not. Um, The other message is is that um, we need you to elect two Republican senators to prevent the Democrats from having control of, you know, all the branches of government in Washington. Um, But that, of course, that message uh, uh, assumes that Joe Biden is going to be the next president. Um, but if people aren't willing to accept that, the president is in denial uh, and claiming that, that he won the election and that he will be inaugurated. That makes it much harder for Republicans to, to get that message out and get it accepted by their supporters. So, so I think that, that Trump in particular is creating a big problem for Republicans going forward uh, as we head toward the, the, the runoff elections. Uh, and I really, I'm very interested to see what the president exactly is going to say when he comes down here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You Look, Professor just outlined is the Republican nightmare scenario, which is all this talk about a rigged election, a preordained <laughs> result. Uh, you know, this the stolen narrative uh, ends up depressing, um, you know, not uh, at least a segment. of Greg, did we
1: lose you or is
2: it just oh, me? you might have? You might have lost lost me for a second, but I, I was go. saying with the, with okay. the Republican base, um, all it needs is five or 10 percent of the electorate um, kind of bottoming out. And this thing could be this this election could go tilt the Democrats way. Uh, so Republicans are very nervous about that in Georgia. If they're not saying it on the record, they're definitely saying it privately to folks like me, um, how nervous and concerned they are that the president's visit here could do more harm than good for these two Senate incumbents.
1: But, but Greg, you did file a, a piece online on the AJC.com website about just what you're talking about now. Uh, you say more than a dozen former state GOP letter, late leaders penned a letter Wednesday urging current elected officials and Republican voters to shift their focus to the January 5th runoffs and more implicitly away from the divisive infighting over President Donald Trump's defeat. And there are some significant names on that letter, Greg.
2: Yeah, former Governor Deal, former Senators Isaacson, Chambliss, and uh, Mattingly. You, you're talking about some of the the state's Republican establishment. You know, not 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 necessarily the the pro-Trump um, uh, wave of Republicans. You're not seeing former Speaker Newt Gingrich on that list, or someone like Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue. But you're seeing um, the 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 state's GOP elite, uh, former GOP elite, I should say, who are basically saying, "Let's end this Republican civil war. Let's move on." They're not saying that explicitly uh they only mentioned president trump's name once in in the uh in the letter and that's basically to say that they want president trump supporters to come back out on january 5th but they're calling for an end of this internal warfare to unite and focus on on democrats and democrats are, 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 are loving it right now because mm-hmm. because they see an, an opportunity to continue uh, to coalesce their support while republicans are divided
1: Mayor Smith, uh, uh, not not terribly far away from you. Former uh, Republican state representative Alan Peake uh, uh, tweeted out a message about this the other day. And, and of course, again, a former elected official saying, essentially, <laughs> President Trump, it's over with. You lost the election. Stop this uh, foolishness. Um, so there are voices out there. But I think you make you, – you and Greg you make a really good point. I mean – I've said this on the show in the last two days. If it'd be great if some if voters out there feel that the Republican agenda is more substantial and significant than whatever the Democrats are proposing, that's well fine. You know, vote on that basis. But as Greg and you have pointed out, what's really happening here is the potential to have an election based on values and issues. Is being completely undermined, and more to the detriment, probably, of Republicans and Democrats. Mayor Smith,
0: absolutely. There's no question. And you know, um, as you know, I've supported Trump. I, you know, I've I've been a Republican for many, many years. And and what I'm seeing is are Trump supporters supporting him and him only, or are they supporting the Republican Party? And personally, my opinion is. They're supporting him and him only. We've got to get back to a united party, a a unified message. Um, You know, how do we bring this country together in such times of turmoil? Uh, There are uh, uh, many, many layers that we could discuss that are dividing our country from racial injustices to the COVID situation, Uh, I mean, we could just go on. We could spend a whole day talking about that. So why are we trying to divide and conquer? Why are we not trying to unify and bring this country together? And that's really disconcerting. Whether you're on the right or the left, if you're red or you're blue, you know, at the end of the day, the system has worked. And it's been proven through this these investigations, it has worked, and uh, so you know we, we've got to bring our country back together. We've got to focus on the issues that are important to us, and and at the end of the day, we are more the same than we are different. And so, um, again, I go back to I keep we keep talking about that word integrity, and I think that it's the integrity of the Georgians who are voting, the American people who are voting, uh, stand up for what you believe is is right. And, uh, and support that and stop the attacks, Stop tearing down and tearing apart. That's not going to do anything for anybody.
1: You know, Renee, it occurs to me that you speak to a community that has some significant concerns on its mind uh, moving forward. Uh, and, and certainly first among them, I think I'm fair to, it's fair to say, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, is what the country what, do our, what are the next senators from Georgia do in terms of the immigration debate? moving forward. We're not hearing about that. Uh, It is not an issue-oriented campaign at this point. But I think I'm right in saying this is something the people who come to your uh, uh, platform really would like to be hearing about, and they're not. That's absolutely right. You know,
5: not only are, are we not hearing about immigration stances, how we're going to, how you know, these two senators and the government as a whole are going to tackle what the future of uh, undocumented immigrants in the United States is going to be. But, but primarily right now, it's about, it's about COVID. Um, our community has been hit so hard. Uh, four and a half times more Hispanics um, versus the general population are hospitalized. We're not hearing any of that. Right, you 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 see those visuals of those uh, morgue mobiles in El Paso. That hits us. El Paso is a Hispanic city. You know, nobody's talking about that. You know, and here we are listening to all of the rhetoric going back and forth, undermining this election. And why aren't the 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 more the more serious topics addressed? And yes, it's affecting how we consider voting with for our 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 senators in this upcoming January 5th election
1: Alan
3: yeah I mean I I, I've been struck watching the senate campaign so far also by the fact that um you know we here we have two incumbent United States senators running for re-election um they're not talking about issues very much at all um I'm not seeing much coming from uh, either Purdue or Leffler, in terms of what they think we should be doing to address the pandemic, what do they think we should be doing about immigration? What do they think we should be doing about issues of, uh, of you know of, of criminal justice reform or any of the other major issues confronting the country? Instead, um, what we're seeing uh, are, are all these negative attack ads, uh, and, and I mean, of course, the Democrats are running attack ads as well, but. Uh, you know, they're the incumbents. And, you know, we'd like to see, I think, some more emphasis on their record, you know, what they have actually stood for, what they think we should be doing going forward. And, and we're, just, we're just not getting very much of that at all. And I think part of the problem they're having is, frankly, get, getting a message through even, you know, of any kind, uh, with, with the, all the noise uh, uh, about the outcome of the presidential election and, and, and the president's refusal to
1: accept the result. By the way, we should talk about what the Attorney General just said about that. Go ahead. We gotta get to well, you know what? Hold off on that because we gotta get to a break. I'm already running a little late for that. When we come back we will talk about what William Barr said. And Greg, I also want to pick up on this theme that Alan just uh mentioned, which is the messaging out there. How much of it is negative? What portion of it is positive? We'll do that and more after we pause for these messages.
5: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else.
1: Tifton Mayor Julie Smith, Mundo Hispanico leader Renee Alegria, Professor Alan Abramowitz from Emory University, and AJC reporter Greg Bluestein are with us. Greg, before we turn to William Barr, uh, very quickly, um, Alan talked about the messaging, the negative messaging on TV. Um, Our friend Rick Dent, who you, of course, turn to as we do these days to find out what kind of spending is going on in the elections. Uh, In fact, he'll be back with us on Friday because the number now is astronomical. It's over 300... Million dollars. Rick million. will help us unwind. I know he'll unwind all that with us on Friday show. But in the meantime, Greg, uh, to pick up on what Alan just said, um, b- both the Democratic and Republican PAC money that's been coming into Georgia has almost all been spent on negative advertising, virtually hundred percent, according to Rick Dent, for both Democrats and Republicans. But when you look at the spending by the campaigns themselves, Purdue and Leffler's messages, again, according to the way Rick evaluates it, are 100% negative, whereas Asof and uh, Warnock are doing at least a mix of negative, comparative, and positive ads. That, does that about summarize it from your point of view? That
2: summarizes the outside Democratic PACs, uh, the outside Democratic groups are doing mostly, are, are almost overwhelmingly negative ads, but the campaigns themselves are doing uh, a mix of of, of negative, positive and contrast ads which are a little bit of both but look it it goes right to the heart of a point you made in the last segment which is this is a nationalized race this is not about is not as much about the issues there's certainly issues that come up but it's nationalized and there's a good reason for that both these campaigns saw what happened in november they both figure they have about 2.5 million a uh, uh, pools of about 2.5 million prospective voters, and they're appealing directly to those voters. This is not about going for undecided voters who are hanging in the balance. There's not many of them anyway. This is about just generating that, trying to, try to recreate as much as that 2.5 million pool of voters come out in November to come back out in January. And that's why you're not seeing as much of a focus on, let's say, you know, topics like immigration or other issues, unless it's to motivate those bases.
1: Uh, Alan, before we turn to Barr, which I know you want to get to, but you're the guy who really does modeling for presidential elections in in such a sophisticated way. Um, It's interesting. Jim Galloway uh, the other day uh, posted a story, and he talked about it on the show on Monday, uh, pointing out that President Trump underperformed uh, the uh, the Republicans in the congressional races across the state by something like what sixteen thousand votes, not a a lot, but enough to say that Trump could didn't turn out his own voters uh, in a large enough. He only lost the state by twelve thousand plus votes. With that in mind, the question becomes: if if voters across the state are more willing to vote for Republicans if they're not don't have Trump in their heads, uh, does it? Is Trump's presence here in the state on Saturday a plus or a minus in terms of how Republicans are going to deal with this mm-hmm. election?
3: That, that's a great question. And um, the reality is that um, Republican incumbents in particular generally ran a little bit ahead of the president across the country. Um, and, and that's why in some, uh, the elec- election results were, were disappointing for Democrats uh, below the presidential level uh we saw republican incumbents uh you know very few republican in fact no republican incumbents in, in, in the house lost a, a couple of them lost in, in the senate but those were in states that joe biden won by a big margin and the republican incumbents still ran slightly a, a ahead of the president so and the same thing was true here in georgia and, and so going into the runoff uh republican incumbents um uh you know like like purdue and Loeffler should should have the advantage uh although Leffler's, you know an appointed incumbent which is a little bit different um but the the question is um you know can they get not just the trump base to turn out and 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 vote for them but but can- can they draw in those other republican voters who are who that small small group who um uh, who who voted for uh, for Biden or set, or didn't vote maybe in the presidential election, but then voted for Republicans down ballot, and so that that's a that's a tricky proposition for for these two candidates. They ha- they have to hold on to the Trump base, but they also have to attract some uh, 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 of these non non Trump Republican voters.
1: Mayor Smith, um, what do you think about the voters down your way in terms of? Uh, uh, whether Trump will help or hurt uh, Leffler and uh, uh, Purdue uh, when he makes his visit down here, I, I know that's you know, a hard question because you're not is. out there in the same way you would be <laughs> yeah. normally. You're not in the you're not in the little you know diners and cafes where <laughs> you get to talk to your constituents. But but I'm curious what kind of messaging you're getting from your constituents.
0: Right, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, it's interesting um, with those Republicans. Um they're either supporting the you know, like Greg said, they're either supporting the Republican Party, you know, which which is you've got those and Alan said you've got those folks who um were maybe a little disenfranchised with Trump who's who's decided to support San, um um Biden and but they're still Republicans at heart, so they're gonna you know, in this Senate election they're probably gonna vote Republican. Um I Trump has some very strong supporters, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what he comes into town uh, or into the state on Saturday, you know, is he going to, is he just going to attack Georgia leadership? Is he going to try to unite the Republicans and really support these candidates and talk about, uh, you know, what they've done and, and how they've impacted Georgia? Or is he going to be on the fraud train again? Is it is it just going to be about fraud? So um, here in South Georgia, you know, I feel like, I feel like, um, I feel like- uh, Lesler and Purdue are gonna have the support of South Georgians. Um in spite of, you know, whether you love Trump or you hate Trump or however you feel about Trump, I, I think that uh in our part of the world down here in our state, we're we're you know, they're gonna support uh Leffler and Purdue. So uh so it'll be interesting to see how that compares with the more metro areas which uh will probably end up supporting uh Warnock and uh, and Ossoff. So uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like Lesser and Purdue are going to do, do well here in South Georgia just based on history and how we've voted in the past. Yeah, you,
1: know, um, you, know, you know, Renee, uh, it, it's interesting to me and, and if, if I'm wrong about this, Greg Bluestein, I'm sure will jump in and correct me. But, but you know, David Purdue, uh, from I don't see a lot on his uh, Twitter. I don't see a lot of him out there talking about the fraudulent election. Um, in the same way that Leffler is. Yesterday on the show we played a portion of an interview that Leffler did on Sunday with Maria Barromo, uh in which she basically encouraged she was encouraged to support every conspiracy theory the president has about the fraudulent election and went along with it uh entirely. Um and there does seem to be something of a split between the two of them and how far out front they want to get on this. Um but I wonder. In your community, which voted, I think, what was the percentage of the Hispanic vote for uh, Trump versus Biden? Do you know those numbers off the top of your head?
5: Well, y- yes. Um, Georgia, uh, first of all, the, the Latino voter turnout um, in Georgia increased by by 72 percent. I mean, that that's a that's a big yep, it was amazing from, 20, from 2016. Um, the numbers are, are undeniably in Biden's camp. Um, But there are pockets Mm -hmm. um, of of Latino voters that that are up for grabs, you know, to to uh, to to Greg's point. You know, we we are listening. We are paying attention. I think long it's been held by the the Democrats that the Latino vote is just going to be theirs in certain pockets of the country. Um, And it's not. And both parties need to take a look at that need to take a look at how they're messaging to us and how they're speaking with us. Um, Georgia is that incredible state where the, the, the demographics do play out the way the country is playing out. You're, you're seeing um, this, this influence of the Latino vote swaying. I mean, the, the, the margin is so tight that if, if the right Republican candidate— <laughs> Speaks to us in the right way. They're going to make headway, much like the the headway and ground that they they made up in South Florida in Miami-Dade. Um, Hillary Clinton <laughs> took Miami-Dade by you know thirty-plus points. Um, Biden only took it by seven points, uh, largely because, and this is widely recorded, the 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 fear ads. That the the Republicans were running, that compared Biden to socialist dictators, um, kind of this Trojan horse effect. It worked in in Miami, and it, it, it did not work in Arizona or Nevada. Um, it worked in the Rio Grande uh, territory in in Texas. It did not work, for example, in in Wisconsin, where Latino participation. While, while a small percentage of the population mattered, it, it jumped by 40 percent, um, swinging to Biden's camp by 20,000 votes. So, you know, a, a, lot, a lot has been written about and talked about, uh, you know, the monolithic Latino vote. And that's just, you know, be, being a part of the community as, as we, we are and as Mundo Hispanico reports, we understand the nuances of uh, the Mexican-American versus the Cuban-American experience, uh, Latin-American versus Central-American. And, and, and again, you're seeing that play out in real time in Georgia. I think, I think years from now, you're going to look at this election in Georgia and really document the turning of the tide with the Hispanic vote. And it's going to be very interesting to see, see how it does play out in January 5th.
1: Uh, Greg, and then let me get Alan in here, but Greg, I really want to get you in to talk about what we expect in the way of turnout on January 5th. We, I mean, we have no way of knowing. We're kind of monitoring uh, Georgia votes as we always do. Uh, something like 11.5 thousand people, yeah, that's it, have turned in absentee ballots. Uh, early balloting doesn't get underway for another couple of weeks here. Uh, obviously, this entire election is about turnout, uh, but... It's hard to get people to vote in a runoff. But do you think this is a completely different year? Let me get your take. And I'd love Alan on this, too.
2: Yeah, this is a completely different year, obviously. I mean, and that's why that's why it's going to be so hard to predict turnout, because because there's so much money being spent, because there's so much energy and and, and focus on Georgia, because there's there's campaigning like we've never seen before um, with national figures coming down, with President Trump going to come down on Saturday, probably to Valdosta. (laughs) To, um, to to democratic heavyweights coming down uh, especially as as, uh, as early voting gets start and look we, we've already seen a million about a million um, absentee ballot request forms have been filled out. Um, and so that changes the game, too, because it's not, you know, it's it's not just voters having to show up earlier or, or casting ballots on Election Day. Now it's uh, the practice of absentee ballots has been embraced by Democrats and to a much lesser degree Republicans. And I have a story today about how Republicans are trying to shift the gears on that one, too, And tr- because January 5th could be icy and rainy and miserable weather. And Republicans are freaked out that that all this denigrated, denigration of, of absentee ballots uh, could come back to haunt them. Um, this election cycle as well, so it's going to be a completely different electorate. I don't; it won't reach what it reached in November, of course, but it could it could set all sorts of records for 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 special elections/slash runoffs in Georgia.
1: Ellen, before we get to a break, I want to hear what your thoughts are on all we're talking about.
2: Absolutely right. I mean, I think
3: this is going to be a very high turnout for a runoff election, far far higher turnout than we've had in previous runoff. We've never had a runoff election anything like this. Well, we not only have two United States Senate seats at stake, but but that the outcome of those two Senate races is going to determine control, which party controls the United States Senate, the level of um, the amount of campaigning, the amount of money that's being spent down here, um, the amount of attention that it's going to get, the amount of coverage it's going to get in the media. We're going to get a big turnout. Again, certainly not going to approach the 5 million votes uh, that we had in in the uh, November election, but um, I think it could be somewhere close to, uh, say, a, a midterm election turnout like 2018, which was a very strong uh, turnout for a midterm election. I would not be surprised if it approaches that that number. Um, you know, I was going to say a little bit about the, the Hispanic vote is very, very interesting in, in, in Georgia, and uh, and uh, you know, the minority vote in Georgia is always we've always started just the African American vote, and that's still by far and away the largest component of of the minority vote in Georgia. But there's a growing Latino vote. There's a growing Asian vote. Uh, and, and the Asian vote in the Atlanta suburbs in particular was crucial for Democrats. Or has become a strong point for Democrats. So those voting blocks are going to be very important uh, in this runoff. Frankly, the messaging from Republicans that I'm seeing is not aimed very much at appealing to those voters. Um, this messaging attacking, attack, you know, demonizing immigrants, demonizing undocumented immigrants in particular, uh, and not talking about what should be done about the economy is, is I think, a mistake. I mean, I think they ought to be putting out a more positive message about here's our plan for reviving the economy. That's crucial for Latino voters uh, uh, and, and attacking immigrants. You know, it, it's not the way to go, I think. Uh, and this, this voting block is only going to get larger over time.
1: I, I want to pick up on that when we come back from our break. But we got to get to it right now. More on Political Rewind in just a moment. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Greg Bluestein, when I introduced you, I meant to mention something to our listeners like you're all over media these days you're on CNN, I see you on MSNBC I haven't seen you on Fox News, although maybe you're doing that uh, every now and then too. okay yes. uh, but um, I wanted to point out to our our list all right here's something I really think our listeners should find. you did a really good 538. Uh, podcast that laid out the dynamics of this run out ele- runoff election you and Perry um, uh, Bacon their chief mm-hmm. uh, political correspondent I think if people can go listen to that one podcast I just thought it was a terrific uh, breakdown of what the dynamics of this runoff are so good for you on that show
2: Thank you. Yeah, he, he's, they, they go great, and they go really in-depth into these races in a way that it's, a few shows other than yours can do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, Mayor Julie Smith's with us, uh, Alan Abramowitz, and Renee Alegria, let's for a minute at least talk about uh, what you said of course the hispanic vote is not monolithic and this election showed it to us more than ever uh, alan just talked about how important that vote is becoming here in georgia but what what accounts for the fact that arizona elects donald trump with a big hispanic turnout whereas florida uh, rejects uh, joe biden i mean to some extent i assume it's the difference between the cuban community in south florida and and the, the Mexican American, I'm not quite sure. I certainly shouldn't say another word because I don't understand it at all.
5: <laughs> sure, uh, it, it, look, it 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 is complex, you know. I mean, there there are so many studies, there are so many political analysts that try to break it down. Um, in in Arizona, you, I, I'm actually from Arizona. I was born and raised there. My family's yep. in Arizona, Pima County. Um, largely a Democratic stronghold, Maricopa County, where Phoenix is largely used to be a Republican stronghold. Now it's certainly purple. You, you are seeing in Arizona the, the effects of acculturation through the decades play in. Younger Hispanics overwhelmingly go for, say, went for Biden and the Democratic Party. Um, there, There's also the history of of, of immigration and Hispanic uh, politics in the state, uh, SB 1070, which was a very controversial bill in Arizona that, that made it legal for uh, law enforcement to, to, to request papers, which, which contributed to a sense of fear, whether you were a citizen or not, you were, you were targeted. Um, and that was in 2010. That, that certainly held a mm-hmm. lot of sway with Arizona um, Democrats. Also, I think that the ground game in Arizona, you know, the the Hispanic grassroots ground game really came to fruition. I, I don't necessarily think that that Arizona went Dem because the Dems paid that much attention to the Latino vote. They're they're as mystified by the Hispanic vote as Republicans are largely. Um, yeah. In in South Florida, you know, again Biden. Won Miami, but by seven points, and that's generally a loss when when you compare it to how how popular the Clintons were in South Florida. But it's, it's it is a different mindset there, and it's a it's a it's it's a vote against the the politics of their home country, i.e., Cuba.
1: So there were also a lot of concerns expressed in the aftermath of the election that the Biden campaign didn't focus enough on Hispanic voters in Florida, whereas it, it Trump did. And and I, we can maybe look at that on another occasion. But I, I want to, before we run out of time, turn to Mayor Smith on this as well, because, you know, it's interesting, Mayor Smith, you're surrounded by a, a farming community, uh, largely dependent on itinerant workers, on immigrant workers coming in. Um, certainly, some of the anti-immigration rhetoric and policies of the Trump administration have not been helpful in terms of farmers getting the uh, the work that they need when it comes to harvest time. And yet, and yet, Trump continues to be by far the choice of the uh, agricultural community around you.
0: Correct. You're you're right. And 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 our our economy is is. Uh... Agriculturally based, there's no question about that. It's such an important part of I mean, we feed the you know we feed the world literally uh, from South Georgia, so it's it's very important. Um, and and I do think that the um, the farming community um, has has generally been you know very conservative, uh, rooted kind of in American values. And uh, and we rely heavily on those immigrant workers and those Hispanic farm workers who, uh, you know, who are a significant part of our economy and our community. And so, uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to see um, to see how they turn out and what they do, uh, in spite of the fact that, um, you know, they're not they're not getting. Um, I don't think the Hispanic workers and the Hispanic population are getting the attention that they need and, and the support that they need from our government. But um, it'll, it'll be interesting, and it is a very important part of our, uh, our background of our economy.
1: Um, Alan, we are coming close to the end of the show, but I'm curious, your modeling of presidential races is uh, usually based, it's an economic model, it's an employment-based model. You couldn't do that in 2020 because of the pandemic and how it suppressed the economy. I'm just curious, and I may be going into an area that I really don't understand, but as you talk about the increased uh, importance of the Hispanic vote, of the Asian vote, not just here but across the country— does that start figuring into how you'll be thinking about modeling in 2022, 2024?
3: Uh, well, I would say it, it, it comes into it indirectly in, in the sense that one of the components of the forecasting model that I use and, and similar to those that others use is you, you uh, incorporate a measure of how the incumbent president is viewed by the electorate before the election. So some sort of measure of presidential job approval um so, so the to the extent that you have a divide, divided uh, views al- along racial and ethnic lines that that's going to be reflected in that and and um so for this election, I had to rely almost entirely on that because you know like as you said yeah. you know the, the you could, you couldn't take a traditional measures of economic performance because they were so impacted by, by the covid pandemic, and the president you know wasn't being evaluated uh, uh, uh based on on the economy to the extent that uh, that they usually are. And, and we have increasing partisan polarization and, and that affects everything else. Uh, and, and the fact that, um, that, that it doesn't, people evaluate the president based on party more than anything else by far.
1: All right, uh, Renee, real quick, because we're almost done.
5: Sure, no, I, you know, the, the one thing that you can be certain of, at least from the Hispanic perspective, mundo Hispanico, is, is the, the grassroots m- m- motivation that Hispanics have now. We matter in the state of Georgia. Okay. The, the, pol- the politicians that cater to us will matter, etc. <laughs> All
1: right. I'm sorry I've got to cut you off, <laughs> but uh, we're completely out of time. Renee Alegria, Alan Abramowitz, Mayor Julie Smith. Hey, Bluesteed, thanks for giving us time when you are so in demand by everybody else. We always love having you on this show. Um, that's it for today. We're back tomorrow with another edition of Political Rewind in the Man. Please take care. Please stay healthy. Please wear a mask and start thinking about when you're going to vote in the January 5th election. See you all tomorrow.